you know, it took us upwards of nine months to get him approval for PCSK9. That was Kim Newland. She's the president of the Preventive Cardiovascular Nurses Association. I'm Ryan Googe, and you're listening to AFPA's Patient Access Podcast. Kim, welcome. Thank you for joining us. I'm going to jump right into our conversation with a question about utilization management and the burden it places on nurses. You have a unique role as a nurse and seem to get bogged down in handling paperwork. Can you speak to this? Well, in addition to the requirements for general documentation in the electronic health record to make sure you're meeting all the quality metrics, obviously we're, we're feeling the burden of prior authorization process. And you know, recently some research, some data came out and it showed that uh, per week it takes up to about an hour for the physician's time, six hours for clerical staff, and 13 hours for nurses. Why do you think it falls on nurses to that extent? I think a lot of offices tried to use clerical staff and they were finding out that they were getting um, the referrals or the prior authorization referrals denied and they realized they really needed a clinical person to answer the questions and to be able to collect all the appropriate data and all the justification for the medications and so the the natural person that fell upon was the nurse. So they're just, just knowledgeable enough to really get to the, the health plan or the PBM and help them understand what the, the patient situation is. Right. More knowledgeable than the, the staff who couldn't really provide it. And so, um, you know, it's probably probably work that doesn't need to necessarily be done by a nurse, and probably not by an advanced practice nurse, but often those are the people in the office who have that experience and that knowledge. So do you have, I mean, talking to your members, I mean, do you have an example? Can you give me like a, can you, can you give me a, an anecdote or anything where you've heard this happening? Yeah. So a crazy story. Yeah. So, um, one of our fellow board members, Dr. Lynn Braun, you know, she's a national guideline writing committee member. So someone with extreme knowledge, she had a great story about how she had to physically go down into the basement of her hospital to find records from 20 years ago in order to prove to the health plan that her patient needed a prescription. Probably not the best use of time for Lynn, uh, but, but something she was willing to do because she knew the benefit of the medication. So let's get into that a little bit because <clears throat> when I think that everyday Americans don't understand that when we're talking about nurses, we're not just talking about RNs or CNPs. I mean, when I talk to your membership, I mean, I feel like half the time I'm talking to people that are um, researchers, they're, they're professors. So can you talk to me a little bit about, or our listeners a little bit about the breadth of the nursing profession, how that's changed and, and, and professionalized in a way? Yeah, I mean, I think if you watch a lot of our TV shows, which show the healthcare system, you know, ER, Grey's Anatomy, a lot of what you're seeing with the, the typical nurse is at the bedside and really just managing that acute condition. But you look across the country and actually across the world. And one of the reasons I love being a nurse is because there are kind of unlimited opportunities for, for nurses. And you're seeing nurses who are, um, you know, thought leaders on clinical guideline writing committees. They're researchers, they're professors, they're in legislation, they're, um, you know, making changes at a national level, which are really making a difference. And a lot of these people are prescribers as well. So they end up facing a lot of the challenges around um, prescribing barriers with prior authorizations. Interesting. Okay. And so how long have you been practicing? 
I became a nurse in 2001. Okay. Yeah, and then a nurse practitioner in 2008. Okay. So in the in the almost two decades yeah. that you've been uh, a nurse, how has the profession changed? <laughs> so when I started nursing in 2001, we were all on paper and really very little in on the computer world. And when I was in the middle of my nurse practitioner program in about 2007, I actually had uh, two clinical rotations, one in an office that had... Um, no electronic health record, so it was still on the paper-based system, and then one that was on an electronic health record. And it was um, it was very obvious having that side-by-side comparison how much more time it ended up taking to have the electronic health record. You know, I don't want to take away from the benefits. It allowed us to ensure we were providing the right tests, you know, screening for the right um diseases or, you know, doing the right prevention screening with with lots of prompts, but all the documentation requirements really created a lot more work for providers. And I would go back and forth between these two settings, and the paper chart was really easy, but then again, you couldn't find information if that hadn't been your patient for a long time, so you didn't really know the history. Um, And then the job I ended up taking was in the group uh, with Sutter Health with uh, an electronic health record in the outpatient setting at that time. And fast forward about seven years, then we implemented the electronic health record on the inpatient side. So lots, a lot more paperwork, a lot more requirements to meet quality metrics, performance improvement projects, um, you know, making sure that we're all as providers meeting the, the national metrics that are set forth. And while I think it's good, it does end up taking away a lot of time from um, from the actual care of the patients. You're seeing more scribes in the offices or in hospitals so that the typing and all the paperwork can be done by somebody else and allows the, the clinicians to actually be with the patients, which um, is, is a good model because then I think it allows the clinician to be in the place where they want to be. But you, know, you, you cite the, the increase in the rate of burnout, and a lot of it has to do with the burden of the paperwork. And then you look at again, going back to prior authorizations and how much time that takes. And you say 8% of our cost for administration um, or administrative purposes, that doesn't surprise me. Um, And I think, again, I think I can see the benefit of some of the electronic systems, but they're, and it's great for data collection, but it still does create a lot more work. I, I know many providers who stay much after their patients have gone home in order to get that documentation done. You talk about clinician burnout, and I can't help but wonder if some of it is caused by how quickly healthcare is changing. There are tons of new, innovative medicines like biologics. They are miracle drugs in some cases, but they are also expensive, so related prior authorization hurdles are just astronomical. In some cases, patients just can't get access. We've seen that with PCSK9 inhibitors, for example. Can you talk about the greatest burden associated with new medicines and therapies? What's the prior authorization hurdle from your experience? I think it's, it's, from my experience, it's one view, and then I think of people in rural areas that may not have the resources. So I work for Sutter Health, which has 50,000 employees, and we service 3 million patients across Northern California. We're all on the same medical record. So, um, I mean, that took a lot of work. But the 26 hospitals and all the clinics, and now we actually have, just as of the last couple of months, an electronic prior authorization process, which Mm -hmm. will streamline it, and it'll really help relieve, relieve the burden. I mean, you still have to come in knowing what's going to be needed, um, 
but I think that you then go into, you know, for me, you know, kind of central California where you're a lone nurse practitioner working in an office and again, you're just trying to figure out how to make sure these people are safe and have immunizations and kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like, so so when they, I can imagine they would think of filling out a prior authorization and and you just would have to prioritize and say that that probably isn't where I'm going to spend my energy. So this person who has, you know, extremely high LDL 290, who I know is a walking time bomb and has diabetes and would benefit from something else besides maybe metformin, right, or glucoside, I just I don't have the time, right? So it'd be kind, it's not apathy, it's just, it's prioritization, you know, competing priorities. And, You're overwhelmed. Right, and I, and I feel that way sometimes where, you know, I, and that's where that clinician-patient uh, relationship comes into place because you have to leverage that. So you have to have that relationship so you can say, this is really what I recommend for you, but it's going to take a work on both of our ends, right? We're both going to need to work on this. Um, and we're going to have to figure out how to get the right resources and get the right information. And um, and so sometimes, you know, a lot of times you'll, you'll be more successful if you can get the patient engaged. Um, and if you don't have that relationship already because all, you've only treated them as a, you know, a computer and not necessarily as a person, then it's harder to ask them for that favor. So I think having the relationship done when you get into a prior authorization process you can leverage that relationship to have them help you. But then again, if you don't have the resources or you don't have, you know, you have one person in your office and you're working in a rural clinic, it's going to be much harder to just justify spending the time on that one patient when you may have 50 others at the door waiting for other things that are needed. And, and we, we're not fortunate in the fact that cardiovascular disease or familial hypercholesterolemia isn't, you know, regional. You know, right. you can have FH yeah. and be from Georgia or California right. or Idaho, whatever. Right. Um, it's, it doesn't discriminate in that respect. No. Can you give me an example of where you've had a patient that you've been trying to prescribe? They clearly are, are an appropriate patient, but you've had to like really go to bat for that patient to get them on, on therapy. Yeah, so um, I can think of one, and there is one health plan, healthcare plan, that is ex ex known to be extremely challenging. And I would say, you know, it took us upwards of nine months to get him approval for PCSK9s. And um, the clinic that I run is kind of a an offshoot of our primary cardiology office. And so uh, the, the cardiology office ended up just kind of handing the case over to me because it was so frustrating for them. We were able to get him um, the PCSK9 that he needed, but it wasn't without a lot of heartache, not another heart attack, so that was good, but um, paperwork upon paperwork and phone calls and time sitting on and yeah, so and a lot of times they didn't want to talk to me, they wanted to talk to the physician too. So that was a little frustrating, but we were able to make it happen. But from start to finish, it took nine months to get him yeah. on therapy. Yeah. Wow, unbelievable. Yeah. Getting back to the kind of paperwork burden, administrative burden, you know, we talk, we've talked a little bit about the, the EHR um, and, and, and also your practice and how it seems like there's been like growing pains. Um, but do you think that it's just, it, we are in a place now in medicine where it is just a, a question of growing pains, we just have to figure out this new world? Or do you think that there is some inappropriate um, uh, hurdles that are being put in place uh, for patients and clinicians? Yeah, so I think, um, I, I think there are natural growing pains, especially for my generation and older who didn't grow up on computers and and so I think um, you know we've had lots of people leave the profession because they just didn't really want to 
learned that part of, of having to take care of patients of providing the electronic documentation. So um, on the inpatient side, I know, you know, a good, great example is, is we, we started building our EPIC system in 2014, and then just this last year, we finally took all of the nursing documentation, and we said, we're, we're totally revamping this because we put in so many requirements, it's just kind of become, like, click apathy, um, and, and really not, not really using the documentation to kind of prompt critical thinking, right? It just became a checkbox. So, and see the same in the outpatient setting where um, you do, you know, the, the paperwork is, was very burdensome in the first couple of years of implementation, but now we're seeing things like electronic prayer authorization coming on board. You know, some of the work from your organization around you know, standardized prior authorization forms, and there's becoming, I think, more awareness and more of a joint effort to say, how can we standardize this, right? Like a, just a single prior authorization portal, that would be fantastic, and there's been a lot of talk about how could that you know, could that be in place? So, well, I think it, it may continue to get worse, and obviously with healthcare costs continuing to rise and, you know, um, health plans trying to figure out how to control those costs, I think that a lot of that will still shift to a, a kind of a culture of, well, let's just restrict the more expensive medications to control costs. But I think the, the kind of the critical mass of patients, clinicians, and advocacy organizations really all coming together will, I mean, people say I'm kind of Pollyanna and the eternal optimist, so maybe that's a downfall <laughs> of mine, but I have to believe that all of this effort is really going to create a shift in the next few years. Mm -hmm. So let's, uh, as we kind of wrap up here, we do a, we, we like to finish these things with lightning round uh -oh. question, 20 okay. seconds or less. Okay. So, um, uh, let's get to it. So are you a skier or a snowboarder? Or if, if you're not either, which would you prefer? Skier, for sure. Okay. Um, what's the best piece of professional advice you've ever received? Um, always get a seat at the table. That's a good one. Uh, if you were stuck on a desert island, what are three things you'd want to have with you? Um, okay. So I'm not totally for technology, but I would say my phone because it has music and downloadable books. Um, my family and sunscreen. <laughs> <laughs> you might need Wi-Fi though for the phone. <laughs> oh, I'm assuming there's Wi-Fi. <laughs> uh, okay, if you could change one thing about the healthcare system, what would it be? Um, I would say, I would say universal full practice authority for nurse practitioners. I think we know there's a, a primary care physician shortage, and I think nurse practitioners are positioned well to get. Um, to take care of patients in more rural settings kind of across the country and really provide the care where that's needed. Well, Kim, thanks again for being our guest on today's AFPA Patient Access Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks.